bruised and battered I couldn't tell what I felt I was unrecognizable to myself Hello, welcome to T. Hanks for the Memories. I'm your host, Darren, and today we are on the 3rd of the Golden 14. We are at Philadelphia, um, released on the 22nd of December 1993. Uh, joining me to talk about this today, I have uh, Andy Nelson, returning from many, many podcasts at this point. Back for more. And I have Eric Nash. Hello, Eric. Welcome back. Hey. Yeah, glad to be here. And I have <laughs> and I have Philip... <laughs> no, I can never say... Modest. It's Modest. Modest. You did there it! You did there it. You go. <laughs> I, I chickened out and gave you the answer, but you were going to do it. Uh, yeah. Um, and speaking of music, of course, we are greeted. Um, the film just goes straight into uh, Streets of Philadelphia by Bruce Springsteen. Uh, we get some lovely uh, scripted font um, to give us all the credits. Uh, Tom Hanks and Denzel, of course, get billing before we get the word Philadelphia. Um, and as the Streets of Philadelphia plays, we get... The streets of Philadelphia, just lots of footage of Philadelphia. I'm assuming I've never been to Philadelphia, so I can't say I recognize any of this. Um, apart from, I think uh, I think Jack Reacher is set in Philadelphia and they're around the baseball stadium. Um, uh, so maybe if they'd shown that, I'd have recognized it. But yeah, uh, uh, the weirdest thing on these credits is the fact that it, they finish with and Joanne Woodward. They list a lot of names. There's a lot of people in this film, but they finish with and Joanne Woodward. And I didn't know why they finished with and Joanne Woodward. Uh, I mean, I guess she was married to Paul Newman. Uh, she gets thanks at the end as well. They say thanks to Joanne uh, Woodward. Um, and I was like, I don't know why Joanne Woodward is getting all these, these thanks and the credits and everything. But <laughs> Well, I think when you're when you're a big enough uh, performer, um, you know, I mean, I mean, she's had a huge career. Um, and that and or with credit, like if, if you're a big enough name but you're not, quote, top billing, they'll often put you in at the and or the with as a way to say, you know what, you you deserve your own special place. We can't put you at the front, but we will put you at that, at that spot. Uh, yeah, I just thought it was unusual. Uh, she, of course, will be playing the mother of the title character. Um, and uh, we jump in. Andy Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> Yes, the titular Andy Philadelphia. Um, uh, what I like is that we jump in straight away with Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks right in the center of the frame. There is Tom Hanks. Uh, this is a film that's got Tom Hanks in Denzel Washington. And Jonathan Demme is not going to waste his time in bringing you anything but uh, Tom Hanks straight up front. And then immediately we pan over. There's Denzel Washington. Uh, they are both lawyers and they're both arguing in front of the judge. Uh, about some dust that is coming off a building uh, and that is possibly harming the people around. Uh, obviously, you know, Tom, being from the big law firm, is arguing that uh, the building is great and everybody's happy and, you know, people are being employed and everything's good with this building. And Denzel is saying people are getting, you know, um, dust in their lungs and they're not happy. <laughs> and so obviously, uh, immediately, I mean, I, I, what I loved is like this was just a great way of establishing both of their, their characters. And the way that yeah. they are going to argue. And obviously we get to see straight away that Andy is a good lawyer. And also we get to see that Joe is, you know, also a good defense. You know, he can, he can, he's works well as a defense lawyer. So, uh, you know, instantly. Um, and what I noticed is that, you know, when they get in the lift, and I don't know if this was deliberately comical, but they both seem to have very, very big coats on. Uh, not sure if this was a stop making sense callback, but I was just like, what is with these coats? They both got these gigantic coats over these gigantic suits. Um, <laughs> And they're both I think that's, talking. That's into, 1992. That's, that's, yeah. that's 1990s, man. <laughs> of yeah, the era. I mean, of the era. 
You also have the shirts, shirts that are big underneath as well. You know, the, the very friends. Oh yeah, and Chandler shirts. And I just, and, yeah. I love, I love straight away they were immediately both on their dictaphones talking so, at the exact same time. So and then they hear a phone ringing and they're both figuring out if it's their like, gigantic mobile phone. Come on. That, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> like, how are you going to, how are you going to understand you your notes? At the back? Like when you get, yeah, it just, uh, but I mean, also you're going to hear what the other guy's saying. You're meant to be like defending against him. I don't know. It just seems like a bad thing. Um, I want to, I want to yeah. go back just for not to belabor the point, but I, I really do like that opening scene, the open couple scenes too, uh, for exactly the reasons you, you pointed out and not for nothing, but yeah, Andy is a good lawyer, but you already are like sensing, Ooh, he might not be on the right side mm. of the, like, or his company might not be on the, might not be the most ethical company. You know, like it, it tells you so much. And even just the simplest like film language to be like, there they are sharing the frame. Like one's going to come in, literally comes into his life yeah. and they, yeah, it's, it's one of those like non flashy, flashy movie moments. Where I'm like, Oh, right. you know what you're doing, Jonathan Demi. Good for you. <laughs> uh, but also it's worth, I mean, yeah, you immediately feel like he is, he's working for the big corporate firm. You know, you, that's, that's the angle he's already taken. Um, but also when they're in the lift and that guy has got like, um, all the um like has he got like a broken leg and a broken arm and he's got all the casts on and yeah um Almost yeah comical. and so yeah well the thing is obviously uh, between the two of them you know joe is the one who hands his card to that guy and says you know obviously if you need any so it, it's obvious that one of them is more of a hustler than the other like tom you know he andy doesn't need to do that he doesn't need to hand out his card you know to to get clients whereas obviously joe does so well, like, well at least nice here in america thing. it's called ambulance chasing yeah if you haven't yes. heard of that, Darren, and, and right. you know the the yeah every 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 city's uh, lawyer law firm has these ambulance chasers that are derided as such at least, and and sometimes they they they, they kind of cop to it, admit to it, but uh, yeah, in this in this case, yeah, they don't have don't seem to have too many scruples sometimes. Not usually. I mean, our, le- our legal system over here has solicitors yeah. who I believe perform a similar process mm. as to lawyers. And then obviously you have the barristers, which are the people who argue in front of Georges. And they're not the same people. No. Um, mm. And you have to find, if you've got a solicitor, you still have to find yourself a barrister who will uh-huh. take the case once it goes to That's court. weird. Um, yeah. but, <laughs> well, oh, I mean, the, f- the funniest thing is like, uh, solicitors are like qualified in term, like they're qualified for one to do for doing one type of like the, you know one aspect of the law. Mm-hmm. Are the ones who know how to like argue a case. Basically, they've got a completely different hmm. set of skills. Um, so one of them will basically get all the arguments ready and all the papers prepared, and then they'll give them to the you know the, the well, that, magistrates who they that's, argue. That's, that's a paralegal here. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, who, of course. Yeah. Uh, of course we meet a paralegal uh yeah. but not until we've seen andy um getting some blood work done um mm-hmm. and i think this is like obviously now we you know we know the language of hiv aids we know about you know t-cells we know about so like uh, all that kind of stuff is kind of obvious but i think this is a, a like a nice kind of subtle way that they introduce the idea that andy you know I personally, I was expecting a "you have AIDS" moment, but there is no "you have AIDS" because he already I has there AIDS. Was I, yeah. I didn't remember the movie, and I I misremembered. I thought there was a discovery moment, and there it, the discovery moment is when he tells when he tells Joe. That's like the famous one, but yeah, yeah I, I was the same. 
but he he already knows he's got it. That's why he's he's going to this uh, this particular clinic. Obviously, around him is the evidence that some of the other people that are there uh, also have AIDS. They have the you know the lesions, which obviously will become a big part of uh, the whole court case and everything. Um, so, but yeah, I was I, I was like, this is you know, in terms of if you're going to get people to kind of get used to the idea that uh, Tom Hanks is playing a character that is going to have HIV. Like, not making it a big deal at the start of the film and just having it be something that's already part of his life. Something that his his mother already knows because, obviously, when he calls his mother, he tells her about the T-cells and everything. And so she she must already know, um, you know, what he's going through. And so, you know, I thought I just thought it was, I, you know, it's uh, it's good screenwriting. What can I say? <laughs> you know, it's just like rather than rather than having him sit in front of a doctor, you know, the doctor, uh, Dr. Gittleman, you know, that. She already knows. She do, she doesn't need to kind of tell him. She's she's just there to kind of monitor the situation. It um, it makes it know. it makes the it makes it so the problem of the movie is not someone has AIDS. The problem yeah. of the movie is like his job's reaction to his situation and their own narrow-mindedness. And so yeah, it is a it's a it's a good choice. And uh, we meet the paralegal Anna Devere Smith. Uh, playing Anthea Burton, uh, obviously Anna Devere Smith, a delight in pretty much everything that she's been in, uh, or yeah. everything that I've seen her in. Certainly, I think she was a uh, she was on Nurse Jackie for like six years. She was great on that. I always enjoyed her on there. Uh, she was in uh, West Wing, I think. For uh, she was like she's in West. Years. She's a national security advisor, and then Bradley Whitford showed up in this movie too. <laughs> yeah. like, check, yeah. check for a second and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a, a mini West Wing uh, uh, reunion in here. But yeah, so uh, yeah, you know, uh, what I think is funny as well is like, obviously, when he comes into the office, I don't know if he, like he's not really flirting with her, but like there, you know, there is some fun banter between the two of them where they're, they're kind of exchanging stuff. And I thought it was a good way to establish like, you know, within the because obviously we've seen him, um, you know, arguing in front of a judge. We've seen him, you know, I don't know getting his blood taken. And now we're seeing how he is in the office. Uh, a bit of a callback to uh, Nothing in Common when he enters that office and basically everybody loves him and has fun with him. And there's kind of a similar vibe here where he comes in and, you know, his his secretary is like, you know, do you need me for this meeting? And he's like, no, no, go home. And she's, you know, it's 6.30, but, you know, she's still happy to be going home. And, like, you know, he's the kind, you know, that's the kind of boss he is, the kind of boss who'll let you go home at 6.30, which to me feels a little bit late, but, you know, it's a legal profession, so what can I say? Um, you know, he's going to be there until, I don't know, quarter past 10 or whatever, so at least she isn't having to stay that long. But, you know, it's kind of instantly establishes that he's, you know, he's a, you know, he's a, he's a kind of a good boss and he's a good lawyer. And, you know, we get kind of, I think the kind of the competence needs to be established up front because obviously you need to know he's a good lawyer for what's going to come later. Um, and I should say as well, in addition to his, his big shirt, he's wearing braces. He's got some Chinese food. He's sitting in front of both an IBM and he's got a laptop. So, um, I don't know, it, it could not get any more busy whole... lawyer in an office in the 90s. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're like, they're so like, we are one dramatic dramatic shouting of objection from every like lawyer trope <laughs> uh, what he needed was a was which he has he has at home later on but he needed a whiteboard with like a bunch of um you know note cards <laughs> on it with various like he just that's all he needed uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I I just love I mean it is kind of a shorthand that Jonathan Demi's using here totally, to just be yeah. like look this guy's a busy a busy lawyer that's it that's what we need to know busy lawyer and a good um, lawyer and this is, I mean that's obviously a key part of the yeah. Story, yeah yeah and this is when he gets called upstairs by the partners, uh, the chief of whom is Jason Robards, um, getting third billing, uh, because I think at the time Jason Robards was still, I don't know, a uh, bit of a box office draw. 
uh, father of a, a guy who appeared on the West Wing, also called Robards. I think it's Sam Robards is his son. Um, yeah, this is a so, pre West Wing uh, reunion. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, uh, he the firm is called Wyant Wheeler Hellerman Tetlow and Brown, which. I mean, there's something I just love in films, and that is extremely long law firm names where every single partner uh, is named. Uh, and that is, I mean, obviously, those are all, basically, those are the guys who are going to be sitting in court later on. So it's nice that they introduce them here. It, I'm never going to say that funny. full name ever again. Um, it is funny that words. they, it, it is funny. I feel like it's almost a screenwriter cheat to be like, how do I get people to remember these characters' names? I've got it. <laughs> we'll literally call the firm their names. Like, I couldn't tell you which one is which, really, but I was like, oh, yeah, that giant mouthful of a name. That's those guys, I guess. They all kind of move in a pack. Yeah. Well, the it's. I mean, it's interesting because, obviously, he's Charles Wheeler. That is Jason Robards. He is effectively the main guy. But when it's like Wyant Wheeler and the rest of it, it suggests that Wyant is dead because Wheeler is now the, the head of the firm, but they obviously haven't removed mm. his name. Um, or Wyant doesn't appear, I can't remember. Um, but the, one of the guys who, obviously he'll be he'll be more kind of important later on, um, uh, but his name isn't in that group, but uh, he does appear in a few scenes, which is uh, Bob Seedman, uh, played by Ron Vorter. Ron Vorter was actually HIV positive, and the, you know, the company, uh, film company tried to block his casting, and Jonathan Demme was like, that would be extremely ironic if you tried to block the casting of someone for being HIV positive in a film that is literally about a battle for someone whose HIV status is the issue in their like it, what, a, what a news um, story that would have been. We were talking about how to get Denzel and Tom Hanks back in. They should make a weird sequel to Philadelphia about the making of Philadelphia, where a guy <laughs> almost didn't get cast in Philadelphia for the same story of Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the story of Ron Vorta would be would be like a great sequel. Um, yeah, but yeah, so he, you know he's being called up by the bigwigs. We know they're bigwigs because they all have gigantic cigars, um, and like com- comically large cigars almost. Um, and I do like the framing of Jason Robards because it basically just makes him look evil. Oh yeah, um, that seems to be yeah the 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 whole modus operandi here was let's make him look. He's going to look bad. Yeah, you know they're calling him up because um, they want to take. They want him to take on a case, um, and they're outlining um, something to do with something called Sanders Systems, which I imagine is a stand-in for Microsoft, <laughs> and uh, it's going to be either an antitrust or a copyright case, something to do with some code, uh, not really important. But they, but you know, they ask Andy about his kind of his thoughts on this, and he says. You know, he wants them to lose and he wants them to lose to Highline because they're, you know, a smaller company. I'm guessing they're meant to be like Apple or something at the time. Um, and and so, you know, it's like, you know, he the way he argues who should win, they're like, OK, this is the right guy to take on this this very important client who, you know, when they win, will most likely give us a lot of money and will be a client for many years to come. And we'll have, you know, a very good relationship with them. And so and know, it's, it, it's and it's just another one of the points in andy's favor for the audience to like him so we've had oh, him, yeah see, we've seen him do a good lawyer he's a little funny he's a good boss he works hard and when push comes to shove you know he sees you know like the little guy should win this one and we're like yeah this is great <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah the little guy being uh you know in a fight between mondelez and nabisco he thinks mondelez should win not nabisco like <laughs> yeah sure 
I don't imagine that Highliner are the little guy, but yeah, he at least gets to look good and, and look like he's going to pick the underdog. And, you know, and, you know, I like as well how uh, Charles Wheeler was like, don't let the fact that I'm extremely close friends with the CEO of this other gigantic company sway you in any way with your argument. Um, once again, making himself look mildly evil. Um, you know, don't let the fact that I'm I'm close personal friends with Bill Gates sway the way that you th- you should, you know, uh, think <laughs> about be, representing AOL in this particular case. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, and then, of course, this is where we get the first the first indication of something where um, we get the question, what is that in your head? Um, and of course, Tom Hanks uh, uses his 80s poofy hair to its best ability to cover up uh, a sarcoma on the side of his head by just hmm. brushing his hair to one side. <laughs> Um, you know, between this film and the next film, you know, say goodbye to Tom Hanks's uh, 80s poofy hair because, you know, it's not long for this world. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting because uh, this is basically within the first like 10 minutes of this film. We we like we haven't really stopped, you know, since since the film started, you know, apart from like the, the opening three minutes that were just all about the streets of Philadelphia. Since we've met Andy, it has been nonstop. Every single scene is building up little tiny pieces to what you know the character is going to have to overcome later on which is very um, efficient and, storytelling for you know the story that we oh, yeah. want to have i mean they're really squeezing it all in yeah. there to kind of get us to the point where we're going to have that uh, inciting incident here and then of course they put a ticking clock on it and they say um you know we've got 10 days to get this filed otherwise the and instantly he you know andy finishes the sentence because he says you know because of the statute of limitations and so he already knows what he's got to do um you know they want to celebrate with him but he's like get back to work <laughs> so obviously he you know goes back to work um and we cut to nine days later so you know obviously he's been working very hard um and we see you know we start up with a, a close-up on uh the, the the lesion that's on his head which is uh Kaposi's sarcoma i think is the name of the um which is like an aids related disease that that kind of caused uh, these types of uh, lesions um, you know, you could you could get this sarcoma without having AIDS, but it was unusual for that to, to you know to happen. Particularly by the time we got to the nineties, you know, th- that was kind of one of the main indicators. Um, and so, you know, uh, we we then meet uh, debuting uh, Chandra Wilson uh, playing the character of Chandra. So, you know, screenwriter didn't really put much thought into that one. Um, uh, obviously, better known now for being on Grey's Anatomy for the last eighteen years. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, playing Dr. Bailey, I think it is. Um, and so, um, she is putting makeup on his face and makeup that does not look very convincing and will not cover anything. (laughs) But I, uh, the weird thing is, of course, obviously on film, every actor already has makeup, uh, which is like the film makeup. So covering that up with like makeup that is meant to cover up, uh, I don't know, it's layers upon layers here, basically. And the idea is it makes it kind of look obvious that he's trying to cover something up. And, you know, he says here casually, you know, I've called in sick for the last five days. Um, you know, if I, if I come in looking like this, they're going to think I've been on a cruise. Um, and, you know, his friends are also there, uh, but not his partner, um, you know. And, you know, he they, they're kind of, he's got like a home setup that is similar to his office. And obviously he's doing, you know, he's doing the necessary work on this case. He hasn't, you know, skipped a beat. He's still, you know, working on it. And, um, you know, he then has a sharp pain while this makeup is being put on. And then obviously, he, you know, he rushes to the toilet um, and then, you know, it's determined he needs to go to the hospital. And this is where, uh, I don't know, 1993 Sexiest Man 
uh, Antonio this Banderas. Is it. This is the shot, it. folks. Yeah, this is your. Oh, awakening. and I mean, yeah, I like. I mean, literally, like, like burning the screen. It is like he's. It is insane. <laughs> like, I mean, I was expecting that the people and, around would be set aflame from how hot he is when he comes in. And without, and without trying, because I think his next big role is Interview with the Vampire, which is like this turned up to eleven, where they're like just you know constantly like. I bang everybody all the time, Antonio. <laughs> this one is just him being himself, and <laughs> I can't stop talking about it. I'm like, jeez. Like, I if I would have been one of the extras or someone off on the set, they'd be like, could you please tell the extras to stop staring at the <laughs> actors? Well, I know, enough, I get it. It's gravity. It's a fact, but you can't. You gotta <laughs> stop staring. Uh, funnily enough, the doctor who enters on screen and says that they're gonna have to perform a colonoscopy to, you know... Uh, get more, like better information on what's happening he's cross-eyed and yeah. it's something that's and i think it's because he's trying not to look directly at antonio banderas <laughs> for that's fear but very you know, he's, he's a repeat yeah he's a repeat from silence of the lambs one of the two guys bug, bug guys yeah, yeah demi yeah. loves the oh, a yeah. lot of repeat yeah, you're right yeah. uh, i mean uh what's her name and and devere uh, was also she'll pop up in more of his movies too so yeah. Oh yeah, no, she's in um she's in Rachel uh, Getting Married, right? Rachel Getting Married, yeah. She's the she's the uh she's the mother of uh the guy that's the the groom. Um but yeah, so I mean, you know, the, the, this is of course where Tom says it's a, is it a reaction to the AZT? Again, the fact that he said T cells, the fact that he said AZT, these are things that, you know, in 1993 i'm guessing a lot of people wouldn't have picked up on but the you know obviously uh act i think the proper name is uh Vudrin, i think is how you say it uh but it's basically uh anti-retroviral medicine that you know is, is obviously commonly used uh, to treat uh, hiv aids to you know basically kind of extend life um so like it's interesting that they've they've mentioned t-cells they've mentioned azt and they haven't really kind of you know, obviously now we've got Antonio Banderas, who you have to assume, I don't know, is being paid to be with Tom Hanks or something. Wasn't this what's going on there? Like Tom Hanks is super wealthy and he's like hustling him for money or something. Because I mean, uh, but and now you've had Antonio Banderas show up and they don't say. I mean, I would have loved if if Tom Hanks would have said he's my lover, but he never does. He just says he's his partner uh, because obviously, you know, right. To, to 90s level of yeah. progress. That is a 90s yeah. level of progress. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but I just think Tom Hanks saying "This is my lover" would have been a lot. I would have been like that, you know. That would have been proper progress. Instead, he's obviously. I guess he's also trying to be a right. bit more discreet while they're in this hospital, just in case, you know. He obviously doesn't want to be discovered, and obviously the office keeps beeping him, um, and so he wanders off to go onto the phone. And while he's on the phone, we see that Denzel is on TV. He's a TV lawyer, and he's and I like how, um, like you know, obviously. Um, uh, like Andrew kind of scoffs at the fact that he's on TV and, you know, that's how he kind of is making his living. Um, although, I, you know, I think he, he knows that he's obviously a good litigator and, you know, like there, there wasn't any kind of bad blood between them at the start of the film. Um, but I do like that Jonathan Demi is like, remember, Denzel Washington is also in this film. <laughs> like, he's on the TV right. over here while Tom Hanks is on screen. Don't forget the two of them are sharing top billing here. Um, and yeah, so the, you know, obviously the, the, the phone call is a panicked call from, uh, Jamie played by Bradley Whitford. And, you know, he's saying that the copy isn't on the desk, even though we've seen 
that Andrew did rush into the office and put it on the desk. So we know it was left on the desk. Um, and yeah, this is, you know, this is the inciting incident um, where, you know, that this going missing, you know, is going to cause an issue. You know, they find it later, but still. Um, and we cut to then one month later and we see that uh, Joe, uh, as played by Denzel Washington, um, is a father. And, you know, um, also, I think his um, uh, is it his brother who's trying to put like film in the camera or something. <laughs> who's there? No, it's him. Um, Oh, they, it's that him, him and his oh, and his they, wife. Yeah. His wife just gave birth, and she takes it, does one thing, and hands it back. Oh, right, yes, because there was a lot of people in that room, uh, including yes. uh, Tak Fujimoto, the uh, director of photography, um, is in there as a doctor. Uh, mm. Jonathan Demi, obviously, you know, uh, in, encouraging uh, encouraging people to come from behind the camera and make a little cameo. Uh, but yeah, so you know, he's just had a baby daughter. Um, you know, uh, and when he gets back to the office, he finds out, you know, he's talking to he's talking to that guy who like fell down a hole. And what will become his catchphrase is him picking various ages and asking people to explain stuff like that, like he is that age. Um, you know, uh, uh, so it's like this whole, you know, uh, explain it to me like a two year old, explain it to me like as a four year old, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, he finds out that, that Andrew Beckett is called. Although obviously nothing is really followed up with um, at this particular point uh, until a week later when, you know, he appears in the office. Um, you know, he's lost his hair. Uh, he's lost a bit of weight and he now has a beard um, and a beard that would look, you know, suitable on uh, George Michael. You know, it, it's not it's not like a full beard or anything. It's, it's just a little bit of stubble. Um and, you know, he comes in and he tells uh, what I think is quite interesting here is obviously the way that Jonathan Demi shoots this, which is, you know, uh, he, obviously he shakes hands with Andy when he comes in and then he says he has AIDS. And then immediately the camera follow Denzel's eyes as he looks at the hat that's just been placed on his table. And, mm -hmm. you know, when he touches like the cigars, he like, you know, his eyes kind of stay on that. And, you know, so now he's kind of like... Uh, extremely cautious around him. well and also he um, shoots uh like he changes lenses right and he he shoots with a, a lens that actually makes the space like feel that much more compressed like all of a sudden it's like we're in yeah. denzel's head where everything like he feels like he's trapped in this tiny tiny space yeah. with you know this this disease ah. and yeah. it's from this point too that it feels like especially 90s audience is probably going in most 90s audience viewers going into this are probably going to be closer to him in ideology yeah. than yeah. to Andy. So, and that is obviously the po part of the point of this movie is that you're like, oh, I'm showing you as, you know, as you're currently reacting and hopefully I'm going to show you a path to like an evolution path to, to get better. But yeah, it's, it's not subtle, all that stuff, but <laughs> no. it's, but it's effective. Yeah. Yeah, and I what I like here as well is Joe kind of, you know, apart from the fact that obviously he will be extremely homophobic, like intensely homophobic once we actually get to know yeah. him. Um, and obviously he's extremely cautious about what's going on in this office, you know, like watching everything that Andy's touching. He also says to him, you know, how many lawyers did you go to before me? And he's like, nine. Yeah. And I, what I like is obviously Andy at this point ha has nothing to lose. He's lost his job. And, 
you know, obviously he's going to lose his life at some point in the very near future. And so, you know, he's got nothing to lose by lying. So he's like, I've got AIDS and I've obviously been to lots of other lawyers before you, you know, but I still want you to represent me. Um, and he explains, you know, he was he was fired because of the the, the whole Highline incident. Um, and, you know, it's made clear that he concealed his disease and, you know, his sexuality from the firm. Um, and Joe says, no, not going to not going to take that. <laughs> not going not to take your case. Uh, you know, nice meeting you. And the Don't touch over. anything else on the way out. Yeah, that's it. And roll credits. Uh, actually, well, in a funny Neil way. Neil Young, you're up. Uh, well, in a funny way, it's, yeah, it's kind of weird because obviously when he leaves, we do get a, a short reprise of Streets of Philadelphia again. Uh, so it is kind of like saying this is the end of the first act and here is Streets of Philadelphia to let you know. Um, and then, of course, Denzel, as you say, he acts as the the audience surrogate because he immediately goes to a doctor and he's like, yeah. you know, has to be told, no, you can't get HIV by like touching stuff that other people have touched. Well, and fact, that feels there's no, like there's no reason for the doctor to even test him. You know, the doctor so, you know, yeah. assures him so much. You know, I'm not even going to test you. You're being silly. Right. <laughs> Although he does kind of take out a big needle and he's oh, like, yeah. we'll take some blood. And he's like, uh, yeah. well, no. <laughs> is that supposed to be? I wondered about that part. Because I agree that that scene seems to serve yeah. mostly mm -hmm. to, again, audience surrogate be like, let's actually, because we've thrown a lot of information that might not be common knowledge mm -hmm. at you. Let's stop and just say outright, you cannot get it from this. You can't get it from that. Yeah. But then that moment when he's going to draw blood, I almost took this time as like the doctor says, like, I don't know. I don't ask you about your personal life. Almost saying it was like. Are you here asking for a friend, quote unquote, yeah. when it's actually you yeah. who maybe has been doing something and that doesn't help Joe's homophobia? He immediately fires back and gets the hell out of there. I and I just took it as like, you know, the doctor was uh, kind of like kind of done with this and just like, I'm going to pull out this giant needle and just kind of use that. That works too. That, that works. To you know, <laughs> yeah. And in a sense, he, you know, Joe, the... Joe should be more afraid of that needle possibly than anything else sure. that's happened to him lately. You know? That's true. Yeah. yeah. Where's that needle been? <laughs> I, well, in the doctor's pocket, apparently. Yeah. Like, come on, at least take it out of a sealed bag. Maybe. Or, I, mean... I, I like Andy's idea though, where it reminds me if you ever talk to, uh, people who are who dj parties or at, at bars and stuff uh they have a song that will clear the room <laughs> you know that's yep. that's what the doctor's needle is exactly. or like okay sometimes you're gonna get a loud mouth who wants to talk so you just pull this thing right. out and you will get them out Which of there is probably why it's in his pocket <laughs> this dirty needle yeah i did kind of take it as like okay if you think you've done something let's let's take some blood yeah. and let's get it over with but obviously knowing yeah. that that would be the one thing where you know, maybe because the thing is, like, Joe's obviously been to this doctor before because he's like, you know, just, you know, send me the bill when he's leaving. And he's like, all he's effectively done is just read out a leaflet to him. So, so I don't know what he's charging you for. But, you know, uh, that is American healthcare. They will charge right. you for literally anything. So, um, yeah, but in like in this case, obviously, it's made very clear. And, you know, if you don't know it now, you will know it in the next scene <laughs> um, that the character of Joe Miller is in like. To just homophobic to the extreme like when he's like he's kind of playfully talking with his wife and then he basically puts himself in the place of like he doesn't even want to think about what gay men do together like he doesn't and he's he kind of does it in a joking way and obviously it's denzel washington and he's 
as intensely charming as Tom Hanks. So you're just like, yeah, yeah, I guess, you know. But then you're like, hold on a second, no, 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 no. I, I don't agree with yeah. Joe on this. Like, stop, stop being so goddamn charming, Denzel Washington. Um, you know, stop trying to make me hate the gays. That's just not a thing I'm going to be doing. But what I do like is, I don't know if it's here or if it's a little bit later, where his. Because she, his, he says to his wife, you know, how many gay people do you know? And then she literally just lists off a ton of people. And she's like, this guy, that like your auntie is gay. And he's like, my auntie? And, you know, then later he, he like he walks over to his daughter and he's like, just stay away from my auntie. And his wife is like, don't say that. Um, you know, so, I, you know, I just I, I thought like kind of in some ways, this is like a very good scene in terms of like getting across the kind of the general homophobia that was around in 1993 but at the same time it's kind of painful to watch Denzel Washington be so good yeah. and so convincing as someone who is so homophobic like just without even thinking as well like he just keeps well, co- I think coming up with stuff I think in a way and I'm not defending that but in a way again he's the audience surrogate and I think it was just way more commonplace yeah. and probably all too commonplace even today yeah to just think this way and 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 say it out there and I'm right and and you can catch it if if you get close to your aunt and you know it's like man you don't know anything you are bass <laughs> well and it, it is very much uh, you know sadly the audience surrogate and I think it's designed in the script to help those people who really struggled with thinking about this sort of thing to say okay well at mm-hmm. least I can still connect with Denzel Washington I still can kind of see it from that perspective which is part of his ter- character arc, and, and then I guess supposedly, hopefully for the audience, kind of their growth over the course of the film too. I mean, that's that's how I kind of see that. I, I would personally, I would personally admit that I remember when I watched the movie. I, I you know, years ago, nineteen ninety three. So I was much, I was much dumber and less enlightened than I am now. Um, I I remember thinking and maybe even talking with friends about it. How I like, I really liked. Denzel's part and I don't know how much of that was me seeing myself in mm. it or you know like I, I don't know so I, I can I could admit that that was that did reach me in that way I'm sure that at that time I grew up in the center of Illinois it's oh, yeah. a bunch of farmers <laughs> and you know uh, so I mean it wasn't the most enlightened environment uh, so that type of talk was probably rampant oh yeah um, at, at, and so yeah it's it was it's a real thing yeah yeah of course we then cut to <coughs> two weeks later I should say there's a lot of time jumps there's yeah. a lot of like yeah time jumps throughout this film like there's you know we we had the time yeah, jumps way, in a yeah, single day and then when I kept seeing these I was like okay I get it like you don't you don't need to keep telling me how many weeks later is it. I'm not going to go date it. Um, but it's Christmas. And, um, you know, uh, I guess I guess as a way, I mean, it's interesting because I, th- I thought this scene did two things, which is it showed us that Joe is not just a uh, ambulance chaser. He, he is somebody who studies the law. So obviously he's in a law library looking up cases. Um, and then obviously, uh, you know, in the in the same library, we have. Uh, by pure coincidence we have uh, Andy who obviously hasn't got a lawyer so I'm guessing he's going to have to defend himself so he's also looking up cases Um, and then what what I think is funny is obviously uh, Joe hides himself behind a bunch of uh, very big law books (laughs) so that he doesn't get seen by Andy Um, and then he sees that the librarian um, comes over 
Um, played by uh, an actor called Tracy Walter, who I'm sure I've seen in other stuff, but I couldn't place him straight away. He, yeah, he's um, a character actor. He's one of those guys. Yeah, and he and he basically is is kind of trying <coughs> to um, like kind of basically make um, Andy, who is not looking very well at this point, it should be say. Um, go into a private room like go into a private study room um you know and you know obviously at first it looks like maybe andy is going to do that you know and he is kind of coughing a lot and and then you know joe kind of makes a conscious choice to kind of pick up the books and actually go over and he's like oh hey you know um and to to just jump in here, it's also I think important and interesting. It's interesting, really interesting, watching this movie in twenty twenty one, because it's also no accident that Denzel Washington is a black man, and yeah. immediately preceding that confrontation with the librarian, some guy I assume working for the library stares at Joe the entire time he walks, and we all know what he's thinking. Oh, that that security guy, by the way, he's white. Uh, and he's staring at <laughs> at Denzel Washington, wondering what are you doing yeah. here. And it's yeah. an interesting it's an interesting movie to watch in that way because we I feel like people often try to you know simplify things very much. I'm also guilty of that to say like, well, you know, African Americans, you should understand the struggle that uh, gay people are going through because you too are persecuting. Like, it's not always that simple, and you know, it is a personal journey that somebody has to go through and this is literally him living it in a little tiny bit in that one scene to be like i just went through some crap and now he's going through some crap i'm gonna maybe bridge but not entirely it it's it it made it really interesting for me well i think there's something to that which is i i I think definitely as you said from today's perspective certainly uh illuminates that character more and considering it they had talked about you know a comedian like robin robin williams or bill murray to play the part we would have lost yeah. that, and and so uh, to that end, I'm really glad that uh, Denzel was interested in working with uh, Demi to be a part of this, so that we absolutely have that perspective. Yeah, we should say, of course, that originally the part of Joe was written as an Italian, um, you know, the hmm. most oppressed class in America, according to some people who objected to the Sopranos in 1999. Um, I was going to say, according to Italian people, I think, who... Uh, well, there was, like, some kind of, like, I don't know, defamation against Italians group that was not happy with the Sopranos. Yeah, I mean, so. yeah, I'm just saying, I, I get it. <laughs> I, I, I hear yeah. it. I, I, there's, But there's a, there's, it's a terrible race to win. Don't You don't want to compete in that race, but, uh, yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't think it would have had the same impact had it been someone who was Italian. No. Um, but yeah, and you know, obviously, uh, the guy who's sitting like you know uh, diagonally opposite to uh, Andy, he decides to get up and leave <laughs> once Joe sits down. So I don't know if that guy's racist or homophobic or both. Uh, but you know, he decides he's <laughs> Just, he, he checks all like, the boxes and gets out of there. Yeah, he feels like he's the guy who called the librarian over to kind of you know make a point. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, and. This is when we obviously get the discussion. Once again, Joe wants him to be told like he was a two-year-old. You know, how did they how did they figure it out? Because he's like, you know, uh, Andy's like, they must have figured out that he he had AIDS before they fired him. So that's why they set him up with the whole kind of highline thing. And it goes missing and then it gets found. You know, obviously, it's not it's not like bad enough to justify, um, you know, like it's not in itself. It's not like, a you know, enough to kind of fire him. But also it kind of is. Um, you know, and he's like, well, there's a paralegal who, you know, also worked with one of the partners in D.C. And, you know, she had AIDS. 
and you know she had lesions and that he probably recognized the lesions you know during uh, like while they were working and that's that's probably why you know they found out and so obviously that is the working hypothesis that they were gonna they're gonna use for their case uh, because we go to what I'm assuming is a Philadelphia 76ers game um, and we yeah, are in a, we're in a skybox that looks like someone's kitchen <laughs> I didn't think this was I mean I don't know how much they're paying for this skybox but it does not look like it is worth the money quite frankly um, <laughs> It looks really low rent. Um, and yeah, so what I like here, you know, we get to see a cameo from Dr. J, Julius Irving. Yeah. Is, you know, just casually hang. I guess, you know, that's what they pay for with the skyboxes is, you know, you get to, uh, you get famous basketball players to kind of drop by, uh, which also is weird because it's like this famous basketball player is also not just making a cameo in this skybox, uh, but he's also making a cameo in this film. Um, so I just thought that was a kind of weird thing, but I do like that he's like close to the action when Denzel Washington comes in and serves Charles Wheeler. I which wondered, I've got to. No, I'm go sorry, I, I wondered about the. I I immediately sat up too for like, oh my god, it's Doctor J. Um, <laughs> I I don't remember the timeline of events yet, but I want to say this movie came out after Magic Johnson announced that he was HIV positive, and and at that time there was like a lot of homophobia and scare uh, people being scared in the NBA at that time. And I wondered if that even like informed it. So good on Dr. J for being like, yeah, I'll totally do this. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Magic. Uh, Yeah. He, he he retired in um, Magic Johnson retired in 91, but he still played the 1992 all-star game, which would have been around the time that this was filming. Right. Um, So yeah. 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 yeah, good on good on Dr. J for just appearing in this film out of nowhere. Yeah, I'm always talking uh, about basketball with you, Darren. I realized the last time we talked about Knives Out, I was like, I couldn't stop bringing up basketball, so I'm sorry. <laughs> well, they're at a basketball game, so I can I can understand it. But I did like I did like I don't know, just like the kind of satisfaction of Joe Miller serving Charles Wheeler, and then yeah. Doctor J recognizing him as and something that this this happens basically throughout the whole film, recognizing him as like the guy from the TV, like the TV loan, and he like hands him a card, and I was just like, I don't know, that's just a great, that's a great moment. No, that was um, great. I, I even got excited when it was like, oh my god, it's Denzel Washington and Doctor J, and they're like excited to see each other. You know, just like a fun, real moment. We're like, I bet he was thrilled. <laughs> I mean, I would probably guess on set, yeah, Denzel Washington probably was extremely excited to meet uh, Dr. J. And I would think Dr. J was the same for Denzel. He was Oscar oh, yeah. at this point. Yeah, so uh, probably was a great day on set. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, as they exit the skybox, you know, Bob is like, let's just settle. Uh, Bob being, you know, the person played by the actor who is HIV positive. Um, you know, and he's just like, let's settle. Let's, you know, that's what he wants. He just wants a settlement. Obviously, you know, if like, I, I don't know if at this point they're kind of admitting that they fired him because of having HIV AIDS. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm guessing in the back of their mind is like, if we settled, he's not going to be alive for very long. So we can just get this out of the way. Um, but also at the same time, <laughs> if they go to trial again, the, the same might be true. So, you know, um, but yeah, you know, Bob's like, give him a settlement. And they're like, no. Instead, we're going to go into everything that he's ever done and we're going to, you know, set set people on him and basically investigate everything and then use that at the trial. 
um, right. which you know is is to be expected. Well, it, you know, if we didn't know that, much, that this film was evil already, yeah, it's, then it's a very tropey sort of thing. Like in, in this sort of situation, instead of uh, you know doing that, especially for like the Hollywood screenplay type of form, you want to like do everything you can to to bring this person down, and that's kind of like. I feel like it becomes very much kind of like right. the the trope to you know to create much more drama. Um, you know, we get some. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not quite sure why this switched to like black and white, and four three. But it. I mean, I guess because someone's shooting it with a video camera, which I'm guessing is Antonio Banderas at this point. Um, but they go back to his childhood home. Uh, he seems to have grown some hair. Um, so. I mean, I thought he was bald for a reason, but I guess it was just for the dramatic reveal after he took his ball cap off, um, you know, to make... Maybe uh, he was going through treatment. Maybe at the time he was doing treatment and then he grew it back. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it just seemed seemed weird to me that he had his hair back again. But uh, again, not a ton of hair, but still. um, Because obviously he's gone to his family home. Uh, He shows uh, some handprints. They're in some concrete. Um, And, um, you know... He is basically preparing his family for the idea that uh, the trial is coming up and they're probably going to hear some stuff in court that they're not going to like. And there's probably going to be some publicity, so they should prepare themselves for that. And, of course, with the Becketts being, I don't know, the most supportive family in history. Right? Um, <laughs> I was what a relief. <laughs> I was expecting this to take a turn somehow. I was expecting one of them to get mad. Uh, but, like, they literally go around everybody, um, you know, finishing with his mother, as played by Joanne Woodward. And they're all like, we support you, Andy. Yeah. Um, you know, and his, even his big brother was like, hey, you know, you're my baby brother. You know, I'm going to support you as much as I can. And I was just like. And this is this another is... this is sort of another reason why I almost thought it's Denzel's movie, because not that Andy doesn't have hurdles to face, but like. Yeah, he's got so many people in his corner. I know he has a bunch of he has enemies, quote unquote, uh, in his old employer. But I mean, the only person who is like at this point in the movie who has actively like said terrible things about gay people and HIV AIDS is Denzel Washington. So I'm like, oh, he has the biggest journey to to cross. Uh, yeah, but I did. I mean, what's funny is like this reminded me of like the family in uh, Dan in real life, where everybody's just super happy and extremely agreeable <laughs> and really nice <laughs> to each other, and and it's just like a huge family, and there's like tons of brothers and sisters and husbands, and you know everyone's just really correct. You know they're really happy to see you know Uncle Andy, and like yeah. uh, like everyone was just really happy, and it was just like okay. I mean, I guess. I mean, it's nice to know that he has the support. Obviously, he has the support from his friends as well. We've seen his friends up until this point appearing a couple of times in the film. And so, you know, and obviously, you know, he has the support of the hottest man on the planet. So, you know, he's got a lot of people in his corner. But then at the same time, well, on the other side, of course, we have um, the evil law firm. And to throw everybody off, they've hired Mary Steenburgen, um, you know, America's time-traveling sweetheart. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who in who, real life not just in the movie but she actually yeah, well, time travels yeah, and and everybody loves her that's what you don't know she, that's how she, that's how she got uh, Ted Danson she traveled back in time um but yeah so uh, what I what I think is quite funny is obviously up until this because I, you know obviously the the firm isn't going to use their own I don't know why they're not going to use their own lawyers to defend themselves I guess because they realize they all look like evil white men so 
having having the kind of the names of the firm stand you know having charles wheeler standing up there defending himself or whatever it's just not going to work and so they consciously have a <laughs> they have um uh mary steenburgen as like the you know who obviously is very friendly and you know they have her as the main defense um and then is it uh Upper Baba Thunday who is the second chair on this I can't remember it. Is that an, I recognize this actor, but I don't. I don't. I. I didn't I know think, him. Know him. Yeah, I think it might be over Baba Sunday, um, and so they basically have a white woman and a black guy representing this firm of all white guys um, up against yeah. the black man and the gay man. So it's like you know they're trying to cover all their bases to make it so they're not as evil. There's a, there's um, a lot you could say to this setup. Yeah. well and yeah and it speaks to how uh, lawyers think also i mean i think (laughs) that's just definitely no surprises well no no, when we when we see the jury as well like the jury is fairly representative you know there's a few women on there there's a couple of um you know there's a few people of color in there you know it's not it's not like 12 white guys like so i guess they they you know during jury selection or whatever they they obviously realize that you know, they need to kind of play to their strengths and, and get in, you know, some some representation that will kind of help them, um, you know. And first on the stand is Roger Corman um, <laughs> making a cameo here. Uh, obviously employed Jonathan Demi back in the day. So here he is making his cameo as uh, Mr. Mister Laird, um, somebody who was uh, apparently very happy with the services that... Uh, um, Andy provided, but now when he's on the stand, you know, five months later, he's walking it back. Uh, I should say we jumped seven months to get the trial to start, um, and this is pretty much where we're going to stay in the timeline now. Now we're at this point, um, but yeah, I mean, I I thought it was funny because like Roger Corman's performance is very flat here, and obviously he's trying to do like you know this guy obviously is there to be you know to praise Andy and praise his work, but now he's having to walk it back. He's having to be very very kind of like hold his emotions in and be very kind of like bored and it's i don't know it's i thought it was quite funny because it's like it does like as a as a juror i would be extremely suspicious of this guy because the way he's acting on the stand it's like he knows that he gave praise and it's on the record from like five months ago and now he's having to walk it back you know um you know the judge Um, uh uh, ends up kind of being uh, on his side uh, a little bit and helping I want to inject. Sorry, not a oh, not an objection. Uh, it is <laughs> Abba Babatunde, and the place that I remember him, uh, it will be in a future episode because he's Lamar, the hotel, mm. uh, like head, the guy who greets everybody at the hotel in that thing you right. do. Yes, that's where I so knew him. So stay tuned for more of him. Yeah. Oh, definitely. We will definitely talk about uh, Abba Babatunde in that. Um, but yeah, what I found weird here is uh, the judge played by I, uh, I mean Charles Napier. I mean, look at that face. Uh-huh. I mean, what can you say? I mean, another demi regular carved out of granite. I mean, it's like I, I like it, I, he was distracting me just because of like his you know obviously he's a character actor. He has a very distinct look, but I was just like, um, yeah, like you know he just. Uh, I mean, if anybody saw him, you'd like you'd recognize him immediately. And I, looking at him in this, I wondered if he was cast, and this is, again, me coming at it from, you know, just a couple days ago, but I was wondering, it was like, he looks to me like a good old boy type yeah. of well, person. Well, that's, type per- that's, that's Blues Brothers. Exactly. Exa- oh, yeah. thank you. That is, they're the good old boys. It's literally his name, right? right. Um, but 
I think that's an intentional choice too to be like this is another thing that Andy's gonna have to go against. He's like this guy, this guy knows the law and he's a real man's man. You know, it's like oh boy, okay. <laughs> it should be should be worth saying as well. Charles Napier played the role of Adam in the Way to Eden, which is the hippie episode of Star Trek. Um, and he was basically the leader of the hippies in that. <laughs> so that's how that's how long he'd been acting is since that point. Yeah, he passed away unfortunately in, in 2011. Um, at the age of seventy-five, though, so you know, I fairly had a good uh, a good life. But yeah, he like the judge here seems to be on the side of um, Mister Led. Like when you know Denzel Washington keeps trying all these different angles and like trying to get him to basically say he thought Andy was you know really good. He comes up with this metaphor of like you know bologna sandwich and uh, you know caviar, which obviously uh, he shouldn't do that because Tom Hanks is known for not liking caviar and just kind of like spitting it out. So <laughs> it's not a good metaphor to use in front of Tom Hanks. Um, but yeah, so like I, th- I just How find good it really an actor f- he was that he didn't leap out at Denzel Washington <laughs> and scream. At him. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, I think it's kind of funny that like we we're seeing Joe, this is the first time we've obviously seen him. We were seeing him argue in front of a judge. And I think we're meant to be like, he's he's not doing as well as he should do. Like, this guy should be a bit more of a slam dunk. But then the judge is like, look, the guy, you know, maybe he gave you an opinion five months ago and now he's just expanded on it. That's all he's doing. Like, so, you know, you obviously feel that the, the, maybe the judge is against, uh, against Joe Miller as well. But, I mean, it'll turn out the judge is actually fair. But, you know, in this particular case, he's, he's effectively ruling against him. Um, and then we get to see the dramatic leaving the courtroom. Um, and obviously there's a lot of signs outside, um, uh, which apparently were based on some of the stuff um, that the at the time the Westboro Baptist Church would do, uh, including one which says uh, G.A.Y. got AIDS yet? Question mark. Which I was like, uh, OK, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, that I, 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 kind of the amount of protest going on is also a little bit reflective of some of the protest that was apparently, um, you know, when this film was in production, there were some. Uh, groups who were protesting the idea of making a film that featured uh, Tom Hanks playing a gay protagonist or, you know, any film that had any kind of involvement in terms of, you know, HIV AIDS. So and smart so guess, people is what we're talking about. Yeah, really intelligent yeah. and yeah, people. The, yeah. What we, what we term the intelligentsia. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I think it's funny because obviously effectively those people are in this scene. They are the, they are the protesters. One person very, you know, yells Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Like literally like right. It's his character credit. It it says like (laughs) Steve, not, or Eve, not Steve or something like that. And you're like, oh, that's his, that's his character. But then this leads to Joe in the bar and they're kind of watching the resulting coverage uh, which I'm, you know, obviously I think Joe. One of the reasons he probably took this is because he knew it would be a high-profile case. You know, not just you know because he, he wanted to to kind of help Andy or get the money or whatever, but you know he knows that this is he's the TV lawyer, so he needs to be on TV, and you know a case like this will help him way more than all his adverts will. You know, like this is effectively free advertising, like being featured in the nightly news or whatever. Well, it gets him out of um, that low-end law work that he's doing into something oh, more yeah. prestigious. Yeah. So. I mean, he handed his card to Dr. J, so that could lead to all kinds <laughs> right. of things. Um, and then we have a scene where, I mean, I know up until this point, uh, Denzel is meant to be the audience surrogate. But, like, I mean, I mean, and I'm sure these people existed, but just this entire bar scene where everybody is extremely openly homophobic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also the fact that Denzel kind of teases them by being effectively, like, you know, 
why don't you be my lover like to this one guy and kind of pushes a little bit and then he's like look forget it doesn't matter like you know but like he's basically making it clear that he's on their side but also like then the the, the bartender is like yeah i'm glad you're super homophobic because that's the only kind of people we want in this bar um and there is a i don't know i, I feel like denzel is kind of getting across that maybe joe is you know, some of this is maybe playing up a little bit, but also like maybe regretting saying some of the stuff as well. You know, and yeah, you know, just I think it's a of... it's a it's almost like a status check in with his character's progress. You know, where yeah. like he he sort of begrudgingly stood up for Andy in the library, and then he took the job, and now he's out in his own life and having to deal with some of it too. So he's got to like push back, and it, and it's a little better. You know, it's, these are professional movie makers so it's a little better than him just standing up and giving some righteous speech about how you're like that's hateful and i'm a good person and you know <laughs> like it, it, it is showing a progress and and it'll, he'll take some steps back even from now and then eventually come out a little more I'm not saying he's gonna go to a pride parade but by the end he's gonna be less loudly hateful it's something Which, yeah. i guess i guess in 93 <laughs> was a win right Yeah, right. That was a win for 93. Yeah, I mean, if people weren't openly beating you up, then I guess, you know, it was progress. Um, Yeah. Yeah. This episode continues in part two, releasing tomorrow. What love?